Well, look at your necklace. Okay, man. All right. Uh, all right, Caesar Piker. Um, okay, you know what? I'm done today, dude. That's enough. Well, is that is that where you got it from? No, 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 no. We're done here. No, no, no. no that one struck no, a chord. No, that one struck no. a chord. You just ruined my life in one <laughs> term. You ruined my life. Is that what he did? I. It's just it's it's all right, Caesar. You don't have the whole um, racism, misogyny, homophobia fit shirt thing. Your your, your drip's not that. I, I, I gotta I gotta start rocking my uh, I gotta start rocking my pants with my socks tucked into my pants tucked into my socks. Look, you know what I'm saying I'm I'm almost there though. I'm coming on the way, and then I'll paint my nails too, and I'll be solid. It's called unfashion. Look it up. Ah. Oh. <laughs> Hello, humans. Welcome to Alpha Brain Auto Blow. This is episode 36 of your Power Report, and uh, I'm Dan from the Internet. Joining me here is Caesar. Hello. Thank you. Hi. And Bam. Hey. How's everybody doing? I'm pretending like it's live. Yeah. Um, if you are listening to the podcast, please shout back at your audio device listening of choosing how you're doing so we can tell. We're glad to hear it. If you just told us some really dark shit just now, we're glad to hear it. Um, anyways, uh, <laughs> this is, I want to do a little bit of a different episode here. Um, not really that different. It's a PowerPoint panel episode. We usually do kind of topics and things here. Uh, later on, we're going to do a little bit on the uh, Kyle Rittenhouse trial. I think some people have been paying a little bit of attention to. There's been a lot of um, interesting stuff happening around that and the Ahmad Arbery trial as well. Uh, we've got Caesar in the building. It's been a minute, Caesar, and I'm so happy to have you here because we're going to be checking in on Bolsonaro, your arch nemesis. Um, just kidding, your best friend. And <laughs> uh, we'll also be, let's go. Um, we will also be touching on a little bit of, you know, me being right. Love that. I only talk about it every once in a while, but um, when we do get a chance to talk about it, I absolutely will. But first, we begin with uh joe rogan md joe rogan has i mean he just keeps getting himself into the news because this is a point of desperation from him it seems to be from all indications that like uh his numbers are flat ever since he's switched to spotify he's no longer able to grow on youtube or use any of the other um algorithms um that you usually use to grow your audience because he has a spotify exclusive deal that he's trying to to lessen the exclusivity of and so when you have one of those exclusivity deals like um, Glenn Greenwald with Substack or any of these other like shock jock right winners, all you do is glob onto the latest culture war nonsense and that builds up your um, that builds up your audience. That builds up your premise. We see Jimmy Dore doing it, selling Let's Go Brandon t-shirts on his website and jackets and shit like that. Um, we'll talk as little about that as we can, but I know Bam's all surprised. Did you not know about that? Who, who's Brandon? I have no idea who Brandon is, um, but we're, we're, okay. who, uh, I mean, for people who don't know really fast, let's go. Brandon is supposed to be like the fake uh, fuck Joe Biden chant now because. Oh, what? Yeah, because don't you get it? The liberals are, are censoring you um, from saying anything critical of Joe Biden because they were so mean against Donald Trump. But now you can't say anything about Joe Biden because that's how everything works. But not tangent aside. All right. Joe Rogan has been a lot in the news because 
a lot of COVID misinformation and disinformation has been led and propagated and evangelized by his podcast. So much so that prominent figures such as um, Aaron Rodgers of footballing fame, um, American footballing fame specifically, uh, is just basically saying that, oh, we had a long call with Joe Rogan. And that's why he's um, fighting against taking any of the vaccines that are out there. Um, and he's joining a rave of a number of different athletes who are saying, who are just on the wave of vaccine misinformation and disinformation. And because of that, they are being seen as idols of individuality for standing up for themselves because the, the vaccine is no longer about COVID-19. It's no longer about um, preventing people from getting a disease that we started this podcast with no people dying from COVID-19. And now we're at above 700,000 deaths from COVID-19. People were going to die, unfortunately, from this, but a lot of it was extremely preventable. Um, especially now that the vaccine is out and the bulk of the deaths from this year have been from um, people who have been reluctant to take the vaccine because they've been listening to this propagandized nonsense that's been popularized by people like Joe Rogan. But again, I wanted to start with a little bit of fun. And so that's why I brought on the article of Joe Rogan just talking about um, saying that he's so flexible that he's tried going down on himself. Like, he, he can definitely do this if he wants to. But he hasn't, like, actually done it because, you know, that that wouldn't be right. Um, I think he says specifically, quote, and I want you to imagine this almost in Joe Rogan's voice. I'm super flexible. I've never done it. I, I, but I put my face around there just to know I could do it. Um, you you got to talk even slower, too. You got to be like, yeah... I'm really flexible. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. First of all, every and the minute he denied ever doing it, I'm like, oh, he's done it like literally for 20 years now. Um, this is a constant spree. Yeah. Uh, you were going off of what you said earlier about Joe Rogan. It's really funny how it coordinated, right? Like the, the Joe Rogan's like going from like a uh, quote unquote, you know, Bernie supporter and against like, uh, and making like government be because, you know, he comes from talks about his humble beginnings and, you know, from family of immigrants, you know, was like very poor kid. I think in Boston. Right. He had a very humble uh, beginning coming up and he used to kind of empathize with the viewer base because he wasn't like one of those people that were came in rich and became a star. Like he, you know, really just kind of started by hitting auditions and making it a scene on the scene in the zone. Then he goes over to Spotify. So it's a massive deal. And it, it, with, with the deal being that, oh, it's exclusive content to this channel, right? And the videos are even going to be on there. Everything's going to be on there now. People aren't flocking as they thought it was going to be, and the numbers are flattening. So what does he do? He has to join the conservative end and say these bombastic statements and 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 go crazy, completely opposite almost of like his his previous uh, uh, political stances. Uh, and then also, of course, moving to Texas, right, and being with those people and start bringing on these very interesting individuals onto the show. Remember, he went from literally going against Candace Owens. Like, he was literally, like, actually, like, beating her in a debate. Like, the dumbest man in America is beating Candace Owens in a debate. And now he's, like, basically on her side. <laughs> like, they're literally, like, allies now. And it's just very weird that, funny enough, that happens when he switches over to now a Spotify exclusive deal. Um, and... Yeah, I think Joe Rogan really needs uh, – he he's at the point of cashing out, and it's just on up from here. He's just in cash-out phase. He doesn't care about the people. He pretends like his base doesn't influence anybody. 
Joe Aaron Rodgers is is literally an extreme case where like here's a guy who literally used you as a source for like the NFL and his quote to the NFL was when I presented the NFL my 80 pages of research as he said on the Pat McAfee show they laughed at me and thought I was crazy and like he said this with a dead serious face on the interview like like literally like oh I can't believe this like I have real research <laughs> oh that's the kind of people we're uh, dealing with right now. Aaron Rodgers also said he's not going to be influenced by woke culture, which I was like, wow, I, that's really a shame. Um, I mean, Joe Rogan. Yeah, I, I agree with Caesar. Like, I think he is trying to just cash out. Like he's, I, I, I don't know how much that deal was with Spotify, but I, if I was like 150 it, million, I think 200 million or something like that. Yeah. Something crazy. But, um, it's just funny to me that he's someone that people take serious because I'm like, this guy's so dumb. He never has opinions. I mean, I don't, I haven't watched Joe Rogan. Like, even if there's somebody on the Joe Rogan show that I like, I still can't watch it because I can't stand him as the interviewer. Um, but it's it's crazy because, although, I mean, yeah, I don't watch the show, so I don't know how much he talks, but it just seems weird that he would be the person that's influencing people when I feel like his, the way his show is set up or his podcast, whatever, is that the guest speaks a lot and he doesn't really contribute that much. And his opinions seem to be pretty wishy-washy over the years also. So how does he become someone that people take serious? Well, the funny thing is, is that he started off with being the whole, oh, everybody that comes on to my show, I'm learning from, right? Like, everybody that watched the Joe Rogan experience previously was sitting there learning with them. Like, oh, I'm not going to, I'm I'm typical uh, 34-year-old American uh, Budweiser drinker. I don't really pay attention to stuff with climate control or, or what's going on with chemtrails or whatever was going on in the world or even fighters or whatever these people are. Let me go into Joe Rogan experience and see what's going on here. Joe Rogan's going to probably pull in or he's going to bring in a guy from aliens on history. And I'm like, let's see what's going on here. That was the kind of the experience. He's going to get high. He's going to ask a lot of questions and a person talks more. That's what it used to be. And he still sells his image as like, I'm the dumb guy and I just have these smart people. But he, when he brings on actual like important people, I mean, dancing episodes, there's been progressive people and there's been like uh, a scientist on there, real intelligent people in the spaces. He's combating them. He's combating them. He's going against them. He's arguing with them. He's telling them, I'm not getting the vaccine. Like he's fighting with them. So you, how are you going to switch it up from being the guy that's learning from people smarter than you to now you're the dumb guy battling against the smart people? You can't do that. Like your image used to be learning. Now you're fighting against them. He's, he's dead to me. That show is so well, dead to me. Well, I think we just learned that Caesar still watches uh, Joe Rogan experience. I think we just learned that. Well, like, the last. No. Go, go on. Nope, no, no comment. Okay. Well, <laughs> let, let, let me watch the rogue experience. I don't watch it. Let me make the appeal. Let me make the appeal, all right? Because, like, there was a, a period of time that, like, I listened to the Joe Rogan experience and, like, not religiously, but, like, for, okay, this, this is a, this is a pot. This, we, we can all admit, right? Like, we can this all listen. This is an intervention, right? Dan. This is an intervention. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but, like, um, there was a point, I'd say maybe, wow, four or five years ago where I was just really getting into podcasts. And so I was listening to a lot of like the standard ones. Um, I listened to a lot of Mark Maron episodes, a lot of Joe Rogan episodes. And so like that was just like on the rotation. And now I've like, I've, I've gone through a lot of podcasts. And I go through phases, and I talk about this in a lot of different like 
context where like how my media diet is, et cetera, right? But I think what Caesar was saying in the beginning, the Joe Rogan experience had an appeal because whereas most like forms of news and information and podcasts are very like stuffy, it has to do with, you know, um, a very cable news aesthetic or kind of trying to match a cable news aesthetic. This is someone who very clearly was an expert, wasn't trying to posture like an expert, saying, listen, we're just going to go on a journey together. We're going to try to keep it casual, kind of keep it approachable. But I'm going to bring on like smart guests on my show and then they will help to um, add some flavor, some clarity, some actual like uh, meat actually to what we're talking about. And then I'm a comedian. I like joke around here and occasionally I'll invite my like comedian buddies here or there. But you know, it's just like, it's supposed to be like kind of laid back and chill, but loosely entertainment and informative. I'm all down for that. And honestly, like I think more political pundits need to think about the fact that there is a finite, there's a limit to the number of people you can reach if you're just doing like a standard political show. You have to do something that has a little bit of like pop culture flavor or anything like that if you're going to start to talk to people outside of existing political bubbles. And so um, I challenge myself to do that in different contexts and different things that I do. I think we could do that here on PowerPoint as well. The issue with Joe Rogan's podcast becomes when it's it, the endeavor of Joe Rogan's podcast of being just like a chill place where we invite on experts is that's no longer the case. The case is Joe Rogan has an agenda. His agenda has been done partially through his like, oh, I'm just a dumb guy asking questions stick, but partially through, okay, I put out these videos. It's like a science. I get to see what videos perform well, what videos don't perform well. Oh, the videos that perform well seem to all have something in common. What do they have in common? And this is something every like media person does. They try to figure out what do all the good videos that make me the most money, that get me the most views have in common. And then you find topics and then you hammer on those topics because you know that. And if you're going to be like a little bit like less, um, you, you know, less authentic as a reporter, like, you know, whatever you want to do as a news person, you'll just do stories because you'll know they'll get views and you'll just continue on that to milk that algorithm, to milk the machine to get more views. That's what Joe Rogan clearly did with the right wing, with all these different people, with cancel culture, wokeism, all these different people who are perfectly willing to see Joe Rogan's big audience and use that. These very political people who talk about boring wokeism culture like Ben Shapiro were using uh, Joe Rogan's mainstream audience to get those like terms into the mainstream. And so the left could take some cues from that instead of like fighting people like Bernie Sanders for even going on a show like that. That's a point, point there. But ultimately what you're getting is Joe Rogan decided that he's going to be on the right wing. He keeps using the left wing as like something that is a shield, but it's something that is common with Joe Rogan, with Jimmy Dore, with a lot of people who say, oh, I used to be on the left. I have left tendencies, but they see where the algorithm goes. They see that YouTube tends to um, prefer like giving people views for like right wing leaning content as it is right now. And they will chase that and they'll try to have the best of both worlds, but it's very clear once you see what they're doing. Sorry to be long winded, but like I that's just I feel like that's just the overall thing with Joe Rogan. No, you're absolutely right. And never forget, never forget during the election when Texas went red, he Tim was a Dylan, Tim Dylan, whatever that comedian guy, his buddy. He literally cheered. He was like, yes. And his homie called him out. And he was like, ah, oh. like he literally went back into like playing a character. He's like, oh, no, no, no I'm impartial. Oh, look crazy. at it. But look at it. 
49 to 49, 49.6 to 49.1. That's real close. I know, but it should be Donald Trump plus 15 there. Yeah, because all my fucking asshole people moved here from <laughs> this California. This is Joe Rogan's fault. Yeah. <laughs> it's not my fault, but people like me who are were the looting and the pandemic. So, like, we're done. Look at Austin. Disgusting. I'm blue. Just sitting there like a big blue zit in the middle of the city. Dallas, all the big cities, Joe. God damn it. Not. 34% is a lot. And imagine yeah. all these fucking liberals out here that came with me. From from California. Texas. What if really? Biden wins Texas, Joe? You got to pack up and go home. What do I do? You got to go back. He's going to come on the podcast and he's, he's going to barely. LA. We open the yeah, barely store. speak coherently. It was another dem. Well, <laughs> you see, have a nice few months. I think there's a reason why Texas is fun, and I don't think you could have that with a Democrat. You can't. Kellyanne is saying that on Twitter. Oh, Texas went red, bitch. <clears throat> there you go. See, now that, that's more what I thought. Yeah, would happen. I'm just. Listen, I'm not even rooting for anybody. This is There's one of the reasons why this is yeah, fun. Yeah, it, it doesn't sound like you are. <laughs> yeah, really. Anyway. Buddy, you were exposed that day. You were exposed as if you weren't exposed already before. That day was cement line and sinker. Like, I think we even reacted about it on the show. Like, that was it. Like, you you showed us what you're about and what you're going. So he he's already made his stance clear. He's he's been literally a grifter. He literally left the uh, Bernie Sanders and all that and switched over. He started using the whole corny. It's all the Hillary thing. He's using that as like his motivator to switch over. And it's cemented. We know he I literally see him as like a right wing, like uh, uh, basically like uh, average male commentator now. Like that's what he appeals to the average American male right wing commentator. That's that's what that's what he has going for them. So. It, it it was cement and stone that day. That day you switched over. We already knew that was happening. It, it was a long time coming. I'll say that because there are people mm-hmm. in the media that I've been around. We've had conversations with Joe Rogan, and because we've watched his like whole transformation from like mm-hmm. a left adjacent person who hey like he'll have kind of anyone on for every like um, Gavin McGinnis he'll have on a Kyle Kalinske and like it'll like it'll be wild but it'll kind of balance itself out in some yeah. weird cosmic way, right? Um, but overall became more right wing. It was something that people in media were able to notice and see was a trend of what was going on. And I mean, it's, it's just metrics. You look at the numbers, you see what kind of content does better for you. And also like this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy of comedians being, um, the truth tellers in society, the sole truth tellers in society, and the ones who therefore must not be censored or criticized in any degree because censorship is being conflated with criticism. Comedians don't know censorship. In America, comedians basically do not know censorship because there's no situation when the government's coming down and saying, we're, we're, we're going to like hit up your family if you continue making these jokes, all right? We have comedians making jokes like straight up to the president at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, at least back before Trump canceled them all, um, straight to the president's face. Um, and that's just like a tradition, all right? You can do that here. Comedians are not used to criticism. They're not used to Twitter. Like, we have all gotten used to Twitter over the past, like, 10 years or so. But comedians have turned not getting used to criticism into their marketing gimmick because now every comedian has to have their oh what's your take on cancel culture what's your take on these things that have been planted into the minds of people's psyches by right-wingers appearing on the joe rogan podcast and other places like that um with illegitimate types of information sorry ben no no, (laughs) um also like i kind of always felt like joe rogan's audience was whether they were apolitical or not, like they're going to end up going more towards the right wing because 
whether he's bringing on, you know, Abby Martin or whoever, he's an anti-intellectual person himself. Mm-hmm. So that's what he's like breeding. His whole shtick of like, well, I don't know, like that that's the infectious thing. And I feel like that notion kind of like when these left-wing people go go on a show, like they're talking, they're, they're talking about things with passion. They're talking about real things going on in the world. But somebody like Ben Shapiro can just appeal to people's emotions and whatever, just like anger and negativity. That's going to be the thing that sticks with an anti-intellectual. So Joe Rogan pushing that anti-intellectualism, that is a key factor of the right wing in America, especially. Yeah, his politics has always been politics that cater to what is important to his life right now. Before, you couldn't really be a conservative but be so pro-drugs and pro-all uh, this drug movement and wanting to give people like acid and all kind of different stuff to like help them and stimulate them. As soon as that become legalized in California, which he comfortably lives in, he's like, oh, well, you know, that's kind of solved. It doesn't really matter where I'm on now. He's, he's able to switch it up based upon what really is like ad- adhering to what's important in his life. Signs 150 million, he he's already rich. Signs the big deal, he's all upset about California taxes and living in California. It's all expensive. Where does he go? To Texas. So it's like, it's funny, like, your politics wasn't based on, his politics have, for a long time now, not based on where he came up with or what life he lived or what he took from living a life as a middle class or lower class American citizen. They're from what he's living right now. That's what matters to him. And he tries to pretend like, oh, it's just the average male. But the average male is not... Worth 500 whatever million. That's not the average male. Sir, you're a one percenter. You're not the average male. He can he can used to talk about how he wanted to do, oh, all I want to do is just drink beer and watch UFC fights on Fight Companion. They don't even say that no more. All, now he's all excited to, to get Rhonda Patrick on there and yell at her about uh yell at her yell at her about intermittent fasting and why vaccines are unproven. So it's all about what's currently important to him and what's pertaining to his life. That's the movement of it. It's not even, and that's that's a flawed politics because politics can't always just be, oh, what's going to impact me the best right now? It's about what's going to impact the people in the country I live in. That's how my politics works. I want my community to come up. Not what's the best way for Caesar to come up. Like, that's a little bit, that's the difference, I think, especially with Joe Rogan. And, 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 really fast, I just want to say that, like, that, the thing you're pointing at, Caesar, is like, I think why Joe Rogan's so popular is because he reflects. American individualism, this idea that mm-hmm. I care about yep. me and mine's and my family, and uh, if need be, I'm just gonna ha- live in my own little like, uh, like uh, you know, separate from society cabin somewhere where I'm self sufficient and I can shoot my own food. Like Joe Rogan is what a lot of like American oh, yeah. men aspire. Yeah, come on, brother, let's go and uh, kill some elk. Like, like, like yeah, you want to go shoot some bows? Like, okay, dude. Dang. Okay, well, also Caesar is knowing like the next guest coming up on the next show. No, 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 no. <laughs> Did I knows. watch twenty minutes of Ben Shapiro? Maybe, but do <laughs> I know? That's all. I, that's all I go. Well, it's funny too because I mean, I, this is probably the last thing I have to say about it. But I, I did see some clip or hear some clip recently about something. I think it was on the Majority Report. Um, somebody on his show saying something about how things are in Germany. And whatever it was, which I can't remember, it was like better than how it is in America. And he's like, what, do you want to live in Germany? Like this idea that both parents should get 
maternity and paternity leave at the same time is a little weird. I don't think so. You don't I don't. Think so? I don't. Only Why? because I have a German cousin and they get the shit. I mean, they get like a full year for the woman and okay. nine months for the husband. That's great. You want to live in Germany? Because in America, <laughs> you got to work. Like, here's the thing. If you have a small business, you're the one who loves small businesses. Okay. Right. Yeah. You Imagine. No, if you, you can't do or something like I that. I don't know. But if I was an employer. And I had a guy who worked for me. I had a guy who worked for me who wanted to take three months off because his wife gave birth. I'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about, Mike? <laughs> Even Mike, to support his wife? give birth? To support his wife, I pay him for free. <laughs> Do you understand that this is kind of most people when this happens, if they make enough money, the wife will not work and the father will work. Right. And then the wife takes care of the child. And this is normal. Yeah. And then the dad provides support when he comes home. If you're saying that the man and the woman should both get like three months off, this is a new thing. Yeah. Right. I mean, Isn't it's it? not new in Europe, but it's... we're not in Europe. <laughs> this is better. This is America. And I'm like, like that, like that's like you are just that guy now. Like you're just that guy now. Love it or leave it. Yeah, like he, literally, he's stuck like, in I mean, Rocky. He's stuck in Rocky Three still. Like, dog, you know what's what are you what are you doing right now? Yeah, maybe you maybe he doesn't want to live in Germany. It's kind of looking pretty sweet right now. <laughs> okay, what are you doing? <laughs> I, in the quickest way I can ask this bombshell kind of question, I think there is something to be said about like what Caesar was saying earlier. The fact that Joe Rogan's popularity is a direct result of the fact that, um you essentially have a media you have a media landscape right now where no one trusts it you have well-educated people who are very wary of the media you have conservative people who just are conditioned to not like the media basically the only people who you know centrist the only people who like centrist you know kind of left of center media are centrist left of center like super educated elites or people who like don't know any better than like cable news brain and so People are looking for alternative sources of information. They're still going to look for news. They're still going to look for like current events type things. And they're going to look for these, you know, dudes, <laughs> these guys on the internet with microphones who talk about shit and like guilty as charged. I guess I'm slowly becoming one of those. And like, we're doing that, but like this is happening in the context of COVID-19 and in America, at least you're having the sense of, okay, you have these vaccine deniers who are a lot of times being, uh, like cowed on by these um vaccine denialists who have podcasts and uh cable news shows and things like that but you're also having this place where okay if you're vaccinated then the likelihood of transmission is like relatively low you're getting booster shots because in the united states like we are hoarding vaccines and not giving them to the rest of the world so we're gladly giving booster shots shots to kids who are like under the age of 18 all these other different things and like listen that they're, they're i'm not going to make a medical case for these things for or against here but I, I think with the overall fatigue of people feeling like why is this not over? Like, why are we still like, okay, I go into a restaurant and I show that I'm vaccinated, but I'm still wearing a mask inside of the restaurant, even though we all know we're going to take off the mask because we're eating food. Like, it feels like a performance that Americans are more conscious of and want to rebel against. And I'm like, damn, if only we can get Americans to be this angry about, you know, like work and labor as they are about like wearing masks and shit and seeing how yeah. much of like that is a performance as well, then maybe we could get somewhere. But my question becomes like, is it partially the fault of like our institutions, like our government, 
our news, things like that, who are at least not addressing, they, they have this gap between what people are actually feeling and what they're constantly talking about and addressing that shows itself in politics, that shows itself in all these other different places, that when you have an emergency situation like this, communication is so far out the window right now that I don't think the president, or I don't think the administration is even addressing the concerns that people have right now, which are principally, what exactly are we waiting for before we kind of like start up again? Um, I want to kind of get your thoughts on that because I think that could be kind of also fueling a lot of the like Rogan fanfare. Okay, well, I answered the question that you put in the A block notes, which is a little different than the question you asked right now, because I couldn't really parse out that question. But <laughs> it's more or less that question. <laughs> okay, I'll answer that question then. Um, but it's interesting, and and I, when I'm answering the question, like, is it? Are people wrong for distrust, just distrusting the media around COVID right now? I feel like my answer is a little bit of me being that guy. But what I wrote is like the, the term media is so broad. And I think it doesn't help when intelligent people use the term media when they're like, it doesn't help when that term media is used in such a broad way by intelligent people. Because I think, like, you have to get to a point where you're being specific. Because you'll have, I mean, and we see this all the time. Someone like Tucker Carlson will be on his show saying the media won't show you this. The media doesn't tell you this. But he is the media. Like, you are an integral part of this institution. And even... You know, maybe not on our level, like we're pretty low down there, but maybe a little bit above. Like, I, I just noticed that on YouTube, if you have like a thousand subscribers, you get ads. So like, I, like you're the media now. Like you yeah. have, the and the media is about having an influence. So I think it it doesn't help to use this broad term, like the media isn't talking about this or the media is like, okay, somebody's talking about it. So who's not talking about it? Like, or, or who is talking about this thing? Like, we have to use, we have to be more specific because then you have this nonsensical world where someone is heavily entrenched in media and at the same time criticizing media, which I just like, I'm, I'm so over that now. Like, I'm so tired of that thing because it's like, where do we even start? You're having some people talk about distrusting the media, but they love Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan's media. He's sitting there. His, his words are being broadcasted worldwide. You are one of the biggest parts of the world media. So I don't know. Like, is it is it right for people to distrust media? Yeah, because it's it's all over the place. There's 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 hardly any way to know what's what what's right and what's wrong. But I think the worst part about it, like, I don't, I don't necessarily, uh, I, I guess I do blame these media outlets that are being, that, that are putting out inf misinformation about COVID. But sadly, and we obviously we talked about this a million times, sadly, in this country, that disease was politicized. And the day that the Trump administration politicized COVID-19, it was over. And, and, 
And just and going back to what Dan was saying, as soon as Trump did that, them people in the in media who are on that side knew they got a cash cow. Mm-hmm. You know, as soon as obviously at some point the you know the Trump supporters were for the vaccine. Trump was talking about we're going to have a vaccine, but as soon as you know he lost the election, obviously we know he got vaccinated January twenty twenty one, but you know. It took them a while to kind of like say anything about it. They saw an, saw an end. Okay, yeah, you know, most of his supporters are like anti-vax or vaccine skeptical. We'll just, we'll push that, regardless of what Trump is even saying himself. Mm-hmm. So when with COVID specifically, it got politicized and there's a cash cow and people like Jimmy Dore, people like Joe Rogan, they're going to go with it because they have no integrity. Especially Jimmy Dore. Yeah, like... <laughs> The thing, I, I appreciate your, I, I guess, like some would call it being pedantic, but I appreciate it, right? That you're like talking about the media, right? Because we're, it's it's such an easy, it, it's an easy pejorative when you are not on TV, like when you're not on cable news, you're basically talking about against the media. But again, the media, that phrase means something in a different context. If you're watching Fox News, then you're conditioned to believe that the media is not Fox News Channel, one of the largest news channels, cable and broadcast pre Disney merger, like in the country. But, like, ne- nevertheless, like, you're supposed to believe that Fox and One America News and all this other, like, cottage industry of conservative media outlets are not the media, but that ABC News, which is, you know, they have a cent- center bias, just like anything else, moderate, like center, moderate bias. Um, CBS moderate bias. I disagree with that. I think that those, I think they're more on the right than anything. Really? I honestly, I mean, it could be right leaning for sure. I agree. Compared to our politics, it's on the right. Oh, okay. No, no, oh, yo, yes. I mean, like, given the idea that, I mean, like, our politics are in a global sense. Just yeah. a little bit left of center. Yes, they're right wing. But this is given the this is given the assumption. Like, I don't want to get too lost in definitions, man. But like, this is given the assumption <laughs> no, like, that America is a right wing country. Like, of yeah, course, we know okay. that. So, so, but that's what I'm saying. But I I think even that has to be stated too. Like, the 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 middle the center here is on the right, and 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 I think that has to be understood if we're going to talk about the media. If I'm watching ABC or or like. When it, you know, I always go back to this, but I haven't for a while, so I'll say it again. I was in college when the Iraq War started, like before the Iraq War started, like right before and during Fox, um, CNN, and MSNBC. You could turn the channel; they're all saying the same thing. It it was all the same narrative. As soon as that war started, it's all the same narrative. Big war. So, so, like, for me, it's all, like, there. there's, polit- like, it, America is a right-wing nation, you know? Like, the center is to the right. Like, if you're talking, if you know, if you're warhawking against China, but you like Joe Biden, I, like, I don't think that you're, like, necessarily the center. Like, you're talking about, you're kind of down for a nuclear war at the end of the day, if you're really parsing it out. So, I'm sorry, like... The, those people can say, oh, you know, it, I, I I just don't really agree with that. I don't really feel like those mainstream kind of like 
seemingly center or center left. For me, it's like, no, like they're they're on the right too for me. And uh, like, that's the definition I care about. I, I, I never thought I'd see the day where I'd be calling my boy George Stephanopoulos right wing commentator for ABC, but you know it's all good. It's my boy George Stephanopoulos. I don't appreciate okay, but, that. You know, but, mm, that's my dog right there. If 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 certain things happen in this country, it will he'll go there. Well, I mean, yeah, because like you said, it's all about what does ABC do? ABC is one of the, like the top three biggest media outlets and uh, just TV outlets in, in American history. So. What are they going to do when that comes out? They're going to go push the agenda that's going to they feel like they agree with the majority of America, which majority is going to be on that side. That's what I think is the big difference, too, about being like centrist or moderate or whatever you want to call yourself. There's you can adapt and take away things from the right and still be on the right because they're such single issue voters. They care about one thing so much that the little things like vaccines they're willing to like forego their care about that as long as like Trump is stuck talking about this other stuff. They'll uh, they'll get rid of that. But on the left, like when you take away certain things, it starts to like um, that to me, like that already kind of eliminates you. Like especially like w when you're like talking about big things that a, a right wing or a person on the right is really big advocate for. And you're like, oh, I'm centrist. No, dog, you're right now because that whole base destroys the idea of the left. Like, so I can understand it, especially that, that's why, like, being moderate is just kind of cap. <laughs> Honestly, it's cap. It's cap. Just get out of here. You're right, dog. You know who you are. You're just right, but you're scared to say it. So that's why you're calling yourself moderate. One thing I've hammered home about the way Power Report is done, the way that we're doing political news and analysis, a little bit away from the day-to-day -day news cycle is so that we can get the big picture ideas. And something I've been hammering home on this podcast since at least um, the election in November, you know, the Great Steal um, in 2020, um, but definitely well before that, is that Democrats as a party, the establishment of the Democratic Party is going to continually self-sabotage their way into allowing Republicans to gain power. And with Republicans gaining power, that will lead to the erosion of rights and freedoms for pretty much everyone, people of color, um, minorities, people with like, just anyone, period, even white people. is going to be kind of rough, all right? But what we have now is the culmination, this is really what I've been wanting to talk about for a while, is the result of the Democrats' efforts of the Build Back Better and the infrastructure bills. Um, we basically found out that what was supposed to be a large bill over 10 years with a lot of spending is going to be a very tiny bill with a lot of things that are basically only going to be in effect for a couple months, if not a couple years. Um, <clears throat> but essentially, what we got was President Joe Manchin <laughs> calling a lot of the shots. Ultimately, and as a result, corporate America gets a chalk up a W at the same time that they can turn around and blame the left for um, losses, like political losses that happened in the off-year elections in November. Um, so before we get dig into a little bit of the details that have been talked about in a lot of other places of what is currently in the latest iteration of the current iteration of Biden's do-fucking-something bills, um, 
what are your thoughts kind of coming into we've had this long back and forth process of oh are they not doing the filibuster oh are joe manchin gonna agree to this are progressives gonna fold oh they held up oh they didn't what are y'all's like thoughts kind of coming into this the hood acknowledges that Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin can't can't walk around these streets. They're not allowed out here. They cannot pull up. Do not come down the block. I better not see you at Daily News in Long Beach. Don't come through, okay? They're not allowed. This this bill has officially been chopped and screwed from like day one. Like this bill is literally like here here is like a, here is like a whole cake I've given you. All I'm gonna give you is that little piece of the frosting flower petal and here there's the cake now after what i've done with this it's yeah and i'll just say what's the only thing i'm gonna get annoyed about is i hate that even some politicians which i really like which i'm not gonna call because i really like them are like still trying to hammer the points in that like oh there's really good stuff in here still like you know they they're talking about child tax credit and stuff like that yes you're right it's great there's good stuff here but it's not comparable to what it was before. That's what's important. You got the majority. You have politicians. You have power. You have the president. And here we are once again. Before, we were battling that old uh, guy from uh, Lord of the Rings. He's now, now we have enemies within our lines. With jo- Joe Manchin is now one guy from West Virginia can come in and just kick, kick a whole bill out that a majority agrees with. It just... It's really infuriating because the the biggest enemies that the Democratic Party always seems to have is themselves. It's always stepping over their own foot, always having to fight against themselves to get something done. And it sucks because it's the expense of people, people who were rallied to make decisions, to make votes, to come out and support and make a change because they were told that if they go and vote for this random caucus, they're going to be part of a big change that's coming through. This stuff happens and it bites them back in the end. So it's just, it's really infuriating to see. I get these, of course, I understand they're politicians, right? They need to still sell that this is something that's going to be good and beneficial to people in America. There's people that are going to benefit from this. But as people like us who may barely bam, bam, really look into these bills and like see what's going on and who they affect, <laughs> um, it just, it sucks to see it's just been like torn to shreds, you know? I mean, it's interesting. Um, I was actually consulting Caesar about the details of what was going on. He did give me some uh, wrong information, though, so I had to. I mean, I'm I'm a big misinformation spreader. That's what I do. <laughs> um, I saw that. Um, was it like all the progress? Well, I would say all, but like, was it Cory Bush, Jamal Bowman, AOC, Ayanna Presley, Ilan yeah. Omar, and Rashida Tlaib all voted against it? And then there were 13 Republicans that voted for, <clears throat> excuse me, voted for it. Um, but but they, but just to counter real quick, like yeah, go, go for it. Um, their their voting against it is like now based on what it is now. There was yeah, they weren't yeah. against it previously. They've like literally watched it as Dan knows systematically getting torn up until now, and now they're against it, which. Was funny because I remember just a few weeks ago it wasn't like this, right? So as this bill's kind of fell apart, as Kristen Cinema got in there with her jean jacket, started feeling how much she hate the bill, and Joe Manchin is talking about, oh, we we still have large obstacles ahead. Oh, what about the economy? What about the coal? You don't care about the coal man. You don't care about those people. Stop pretending like you care, dog. He's big money. What are you talking? You're like a corporate guy. Get out of here. They obviously started kind of switching up. 
uh, how they felt about it too. So it, it's this bill is it went from like them trying to absolve us, making us feel like it's okay, to them like being like, you know what, like we're good. And honestly, Ben, that's why. Like it's it's definitely changed in, in time. Yeah, it's interesting though. Um, I saw that Trump uh, described it as a win for Biden, um, and he was saying that uh, he was like criticizing the Republicans that voted for it, saying like, why would you give Joe Biden a win when the, when his poll numbers are so bad? Um, which is like you know, he's it's like not even about the bill or politics for him. It's just like the look. Um, But, but some of those Republicans were getting death threats for voting for that bill, which I'm also not surprised about, but I'm, I'm here for the Dan is right tour. Dan about to go off. I'm really not about to go off. This is just to say that like, this is Democrats doing what they're always do. I mean, like, so what we're saying in the last segment is that centrism is always going to win. Like centrism, number one, like Uber always, always and forever. All right. Like, so with the fact that you have centrists in the Republican Party who are just waiting for progressives to, um, you know, stand to fight on this bill, then once the bill has been watered down, absolutely gutted to all of its like, like just skeleton of what it was originally supposed to be, then you'll finally have some Republicans come over and say, oh, look, we have progress. So you can have the headline of, oh, you have bipartisanship because Republicans and Democrats finally come together even though you're not going into the details of which Republicans and which Democrats and how long was this battle actually being fought and how long it's going for. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, the like mainstream media terms with, and BAM's like definitions with that notwithstanding from the previous segment, like they were covering all of this, but they weren't contextualizing it at the end. They weren't saying that, weren't saying that like, oh, in the end, uh, Republicans and Democrats came together and this bill passed. So they didn't say, oh, this watered-down bill that was different from what it was started as in the beginning, that was different from what Joe Biden and a lot of Democrats campaigned on and got elected on in the beginning, was voted on by Republicans because it was completely gutted by centrist Democrats like Joe Manchin, who's in public, and other ones who were in private. And you have this... like, like. The fact they're not contextualizing it completely while we were saying, like, listen, this is what they're going to do is kind of just predictable. But I, I, one thing I will get to here before I kind of go into the centrist kind of really coming into it is the fact that you can actually kind of track and look and say, um, polling on the Build Back Better plan that Joe Biden was putting forward was doing really well. So, like, all the provisions in it that were really popular were the things that moderates were continuing to cut. And you can actually track that as the Build Back Better bill was cut, it got less popular in polling. And mm-hmm. so there was, there was a lot of criticism about, oh, you know, people aren't messaging the Build Back Better bill enough. Uh, Bernie Sanders needs to... Bernie Sanders? <laughs> he needs to talk more about the Build Back Better bill. And then, like, Democrats need to actually put this in the words. And I think that's true. Democrats need to get better at messaging. But the people who actually made it through the Democrats, like inability to actually sell a policy we're like no no yeah i get you and all the stuff is really good oh wait you're taking away all the stuff that i like now i like it less and so the whole point here if, if, to stop myself before going in before i really go in here the whole point of she the democrats nice. getting election in 2020 <laughs> was so that the democrats could accomplish things could show that the democratic party could accomplish things so that you wouldn't vote in republicans so you wouldn't go oh you can't allow re- 
oh, um, trust the Democrats to do anything. At least the Republicans are promising me things that they won't give me either, but they're promising me things and they're not the Democrats. What? <laughs> I, I, I kind of said a lot of things there, but like the, the revelation that even for people that were paying attention, once you took out things that were popular in the bill, that the bill got less popular. I mean, like, what does that say to y'all who aren't like paying attention to this as closely as I am? Like, does this in like make you engage in politics more? Does this make you like see that? Oh, clearly the politicians are listening to the people that they're like trusting them and what they have to say and acting on behalf of them. Because to me, it doesn't read like that. And all I want to do is tell people this thing was popular and Democrats worked hard against it as a party. What I mean, okay, this is like a question. Did it have? Did it get stuff taken out basically just because of Mansion and Cinema were saying they won't support it if this stuff is in there? Because it seemed like it was just them two. So, so like that—that's what I'm trying to kind of allude to is that Kristen Cinema and Joe Mansion are useful foils in the fact that they will be the public faces to a private battle. What's actually happening with this bill is that you know um, lawmakers are talking behind the scenes, negotiating, having different meetings, talking about X, Y, and Z provision. Obviously not thoroughly enough because the whole thing is still a mess. But they're having those negotiations and they're having those discussions. It's not just Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin walking around saying, and if I don't get my way, I'll just be like that. That's how it's illustrated on TV because they only get eight minutes or so to talk about in between commercials for other things that Pfizer happens to be selling you. But the... And like what I'm trying, I'm trying to get here, like to answer your question, is that there are moderate Democrats in the House and the Senate who are hiding behind Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, who are letting them do the public-facing dirty work of being like the faces of no, we actually don't want to let Joe Biden's um, agenda pass, not because we hate Joe Biden, but because Joe Biden doesn't want Joe Biden's agenda to pass. The mainstream Democratic Party is financially incentivized based on the people who give them money. Do not tax those people more. That like that that's the whole game. Is, is that like yeah, sorry, I'm not I'm gonna get off of it, but like, yeah, that's to answer your question. There, there's a okay, whole bunch so, of people behind Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin. So so it seems like what you're saying that it was never gonna happen in the first place, and we're doomed no matter who's there. <laughs> I'm saying I'm saying that a lot G -G. of the I'm saying that a lot of this was political theater so that you could have and let me just get into it now. Like a lot of this was political theater so that you could have articles get written so that you could have narratives get spun. Essentially you can have, and especially after the um, midterm elections that happen, you have all these opinion articles that's saying like, Oh, Democrats insulted, cajoled and begged mansion. Now they should just listen to him. That was a Washington post opinion headline. That's basically saying in the wake of the um, November, like the loss the elections that, um, Democrats seem to have lost in that um, off-year midterms that happened in 2021. Basically, the idea is, and it's happening all throughout mainstream media, the idea that Democrats need to listen to moderates, that all this stuff over um, woke culture and critical race theory and all these other dog whistles for the Republican Party are leading Democrats astray and they need to focus on actual issues. <laughs> now, 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 the joke thing about there that pisses me off is that on Power Report here, We've been talking about how the Democratic Party 
is at least doing the theater aspect of talking about policies they're not going to pass anyways, <clears throat> but at least talking about these policies, challenging the Republicans to propose something in response. And the Republicans are not repo- proposing anything in response. They're talking about Dr. Seuss and cancel culture and comedians and woke and critical race theory that they're making up boogeymen um, and then running elections off of that because the truth is they're a party about tax cuts for the rich. They can't actually run on that. So they're going to run on scaring people. But the thing is here is that because the Democrats are so weak, you have centrists who can just very easily, you know, wake up in the morning and just lazily pick up this message that because, oh, well, Republicans won and Republicans won based off of the thing they're campaigning against. They're campaigning against critical race theory and all these other like dumb non-existent issues. But because they won, you have to go, okay, well, they won. And so their dumb non-existent issues are real and Democrats have to respond to them. And then because the media works the way it does, people in Washington will read these opinion articles, ones that say things such as, as I get up here, like this Wall Street Journal one, that Democrats need to face down the woke, which you'd expect from the Wall Street Journal. But like this USA Today one that's like, Wokeism, wokeness has destroyed Democrats' hope of connecting with voters in 2022. I think these things are true. I think Democrats focus oh, yeah. on these things too much. But that wasn't the issue in 2021. This is like critical race theory wasn't something that was actually being pushed or anything in 2021, except by people who were trying to make conspiracy theories in right wing media. What Democrats were talking about in 2021 was the um, John Lewis Voting Rights Act. They were talking about um, George Floyd police accountability. They were talking about all these other like flashy names for things they never wanted to do in the first place. But Republicans won the message with their cancel culture nonsense because Democrats can't control any message, win or lose. So yes, I am saying they're fucking doomed for failure. And like, it, it's getting to the point where other than having just like constant fighting between the forces of like other than the squad essentially constantly fighting within the democratic party and fighting a messaging war against the democratic party that's the only kind of use they have right now is to fight it from within and make a messaging battle out of it because the democratic party themselves are not going to save anyone they're only going to kabuki theater their way out of power and let the republicans and like fascists who are right behind them take over It'd be nice if uh, they could have some uh, false flag uh, narrative to run on, but uh, it's America. We don't have that. You either got, you can win on racism and there's like nothing else you can win off of. Like, (laughs) I love this country. It's, it's, it's so terrible. Um, so, but like, it's clear to me, I don't even think I have the question there. It's clear to me that like the Democrats are living in a self-fulfilling prophecy. One like random thing here, not to get too far in the weeds, but there's this thing called the state and local tax like deduction, essentially, that um, mm-hmm. the Trump administration like put in and said, okay, basically, you can deduct this um, the amount you pay on your state and local taxes on, off of your federal taxes. So you're not like double dipping, essentially. Um, and, you know, this can help people for like low, middle, upper class, because whoever's paying state and local and federal taxes, this will help them benefit. So that limit was $10,000 previously. The bill that the Democrats are doing, the Democrats that are supposed to be against, you know, the rich or such like that, lifts that uh, deduction limit to $80,000. So that's just like an amount of money that like 
there are very few like working middle class people or whatever who are paying eighty thousand dollars in local and state taxes. And as a result, Trump, that's not even pay that much. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so th- there you have the Democrats going, OK, we'll water down our bill. We're going to water down the climate provisions. The, the Democrats, I thought we going to do something that like I've been talking about for years, which is like you could convince like Chevron and Shell to become like climate warriors by telling them there's money in it. Right. And like this bill would have been like given government money to companies, which inevitably would have been the oil and gas companies to like mm-hmm. build green infrastructure. And all right. So like, listen, you'll have the capitalists who want to get paid. They'll get paid. So they'll get off your ass. You'll have people who will get jobs. Um, it'll be subsidized by the government, but like fucking everything is subsidized by the government. And that'll help like put people to work on a climate focused part of the economy. You could like, There'll be coal jobs you'll be taken away, but those people will be building or could be building wind turbines and other things like that. Obviously, not the same thing as mining coal, but these people, like, they're not dumb. It's not like they can only do one thing. They can work with their hands. They can, like, work with building things too, right? So, um, <laughs> Joe Rogan said, I'm not, I'm not saying you, I'm, so let me be clear. I'm talking to myself. I'm not saying, like, let's, tra- <laughs> I'm not saying let's train, like, coal miners to, like, build wind turbines, but I'm saying, like, the companies, at that level yeah. could ultimately like there's no reason shell can't become and they already aren't there's no reason shell can't become yeah. a green energy company and so what i'm trying to say is that that part was taken out of the bill they took out the part of the bill that like basically does green capitalism which sucks but ultimately gets us closer to a green new deal right and they replaced it not like saying it was a one for one thing but one of the things you're getting through the centrist compromise bullshit is uh rich people pay less in taxes so of course, like it's just clear where the game is ultimately. Yeah, of course the bill, the bill, like you said, it got watered down to appease um, people on the other side as well too. And you know, just and going off your point about the coal, yeah, there's there's other options they can do. They can do they can have them work in energy conversion factories. They can do um, development of solar panels, all kind of alternative forms of energy and production we can do that's outside of coal and mining. That these people are maybe more than skilled or trained or vocational wise to be into those fields. Because I thought the original goal was to bring industry and work back to America, right? So if you're actually going to do that, then you need to invest back in the people anyways. They complain about so much about big China and everything. Well, this is how you do it. These people who are coal miners and work in that field, we're moving away from that sort of. I mean, we all were watching the the court case with um, – Arco and doing their emission spending <laughs> for the last uh, 10 years, uh, those billions, they've been working real hard on, uh, uh, but no, I mean, if you, if you incentivize these companies with, Hey, it's, you're not going to take a big hit. We can subsidize your losses. We can provide relief. We can do this and this. If you guys just promise to invest more than 1% of your funds into this, it would make huge strides and we could develop more factors. Yeah, I, I agree. It definitely could. It definitely is. It definitely did. I don't know if it could have done it, but it could at least brought the discussion to the forefront for those big factories here to at least do something about making a change, especially in their development factories and everything. You definitely have. And here's an interest where like, okay, here's Joe Manchin. This is directly Joe Manchin's fault. Joe Manchin's like main bread and butter where he gets his money, um, not just political donors, but literally where Joe Manchin's like financial interests are in is coal in West Virginia. Mm -hmm. And so anything that like hurts the coal industry, Joe Manchin is going to fight against and leverage his um like position on. 
So, mm-hmm. like, that's yep. particularly, like, that's in Joe Manchin's core. Je- like, Pete, like, climate disasters are going to continue to happen. And it's, Joe Manchin was one of the people who could have actually stood in the way to do it. And he, it's one of the situations where there is a one person who can do something about it. And Joe Manchin didn't. So we can start to blame deaths that happen to climate catastrophes on Joe Manchin. I'm kind of down for that. <laughs> okay, let's do it. I'm down. We return to world news. I enjoy doing world news in the show. And we're going to be talking about Brazil, which I think is really interesting. Um, Brazil and uh, Jair Bolsonaro kind of came up around the Trump years as a comparison to Trump. Like, look at what's happening. You have similar things going on. And those things are sort of like vague here and there based on how uh, the way that the media tends to uh, <laughs> promote and uh, write about things. I'm just going to like tease Bam about that forever now. But, um, but like, you, there are a lot of parallels that were drawn in Western media between uh, Bolsonaro and Donald Trump. Some of those things being justified, some of those things being kind of reaches. But I think one thing you're finding that's really interesting right now is um, an article out of the New York Times that is showing a lot of Trump confidants type people, especially the ones who are orchestrating the uh, Stop the Steal movement, uh, the most prominent voices from Donald Trump's efforts, are now shifting their gears towards South America and um, looking to see where they can help in um, Bolsonaro's re-election bid, which will be happening next year, I believe. And so far, the polls are not looking great for him because um, he has not been doing great as the leader of Brazil, as our... Um, one of our esteemed experts on Brazil, um, one of them, as we have many of them, apparently on Power Report, Caesar, <laughs> um, who will, will kind of like talk us here. So we, we've talked about a little bit here on Power Report, Caesar, with Bolsonaro royally messing up COVID in Brazil. Like, he basically, that's where something where he took Trump's lead on. He's like, oh, you're going to politicize COVID and make it into a thing where you can um, call people like sissies for wearing masks. Oh, I got you, dog. Hold my beer. I'm going to double down, triple down on that. So um, yeah. how's that been doing for his poll numbers? How's that been doing for, you know, Brazil uh, as a country? Uh, it's shocking. Uh, once you strip people of the food they didn't have already, the money they didn't have, and the, and the, the, big, the big man for economy, right? Mr. I'm against corruption, and I'm basically about the economy. Brazil plummets to one of its most historic numbers of all time, reaching close to six reals per almost six reals to the dollar, which is in my time of travel by four, that's a crazy number. I've like, I, it, it's, it's, I haven't even seen that number, honestly, or at least remember that. Um, I remember even during the Lula era, it got close to almost like 283 to 190, a dollar 90 reels to a dollar. It was getting really good economy, strong economy. So the economy's bad. People don't can't get jobs. I have family that can't have jobs down there. Um, this is a man who in March, I mean, we're talking March. It was, it was one of the worst months in Brazil's history. He told people, quit whining. Quit whining. This is what this man said. He was dropping Facebook videos where he's like uh, uh, talking about, oh, this is look at these vaccine results. If your video gets pulled off Facebook, you know you're wiling. Facebook lets everything go. When you get pulled off meta, and then it, it, it's done, dog. So he's been doing actually really, really bad in the polls. I know that. I know the former health minister is now running for president. Um, 
shockingly, the Senate is completely against him. The Senate is now battling. And what's his number one approach to say that? Oh, this is all political. It's political. The Senate is out to defame me. They're defaming my name. My friend, I don't know if you know this, but you may think Brazilians are stupid, but they have video clips of you. You literally said these things on camera. That's the problem. You he he pushed the Trump agenda, but he's so stupid that it's like it actually he didn't work it out right. Like at the end of the day, Trump is a businessman, right? So he knows how to be shrewd. He knows how to play with the people. You watch his rallies. He's playing games with the crowd. He's like a showman. Jair has none of that in him. He's just straight, uh, very closed minded. Uh, businessman. Now, I mean, um, president, the problem is though, this is just the beginning stage. I know we kind of were talking about how he has the, 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 they released the documents from the CPI. I don't know how to say it, English CPI. Um, they released documents stating that, oh, here's everything he's done during his campaign, which includes, uh, I believe, I believe the report said something about, um, money, money allocation, misinformation about COVID. And, and just because now that there's that court case that's going to be coming up about, they want to blame him, uh, which he is, is he's at fault for the Brazil being number two in the world at 600,000 plus deaths. It's going to take a while to get to get the point. The thing that does suck for him is that it's at the worst time it could ever be imaginable. This is all going to be going down and every single political opponent is going to be able to use this during uh, an election season that I feel is going to be really heated and contentious in Brazil. This 2022, the uh, 2022 one coming up. So yeah, his 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 numbers are dropping a lot, and that big report is going to be a big part of it, especially with the Senate being really against him right now. And um, I, I have another fellow expert on Brazilian politics in South America, based out of Uruguay, Pablo <laughs> Umania. Go ahead, dog. <laughs> um, no, I mean honestly, like I agree totally with everything Caesar said. The elections are coming up um, <clears throat> October two thousand twenty-two, and obviously we've already seen him saying that the only way he'll lose is if the elections are rigged. He's talking about election integrity, doing that same Trump playbook. And the thing about it is like, you know, for the for now in America, we've survived the January 6th coup attempt for now. Um, although I do think that was just the beginning. I don't know if Brazil can survive something like that. The like I don't I don't know if Brazil could survive like um you know a real like like uh violence in the streets uh, targeted towards politicians. Hmm. Um, I feel like maybe the only difference is that like the capital is Brasilia and it's like not that you know the things aren't as accessible really as like here, but. It's like equivalent yeah. to Wyoming. It's yeah, like way know, out like, there, dog. <laughs> you know, so so that might be the only like you know who yeah. knows, but Brazil's a young democracy. Um, it's shaky. It's 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 shaky democracy, and we see that with the you know with Bolsonaro being elected, that you know he ran on it uh, you know an anti-democratic platform, and he was able to win. Um, so we'll see if he's able to use that same, 
you know, they stole the election. You already have people like uh, uh, Don Jr. is speaking out in his behalf saying, oh, you know, China might mess around like they did here in America. Yeah. Steve Bannon obviously is really close. Don uh, with, Jr. They pulled out family. They pulled out Mike Lindell, the MyPillow guy, and he's showing for Bolsonaro right now. Like all of the loony stops. Like I'm, I'm surprised they don't have goddamn Giuliani out there uh, well, work on his might. Portuguese. No, he, he might. Um, uh, bon dia, todo mundo. Jair uh, <laughs> Bolsonaro. But but you know what's funny though, like, I, okay, and Caesar, you can you can correct me, but I if if you don't if you don't agree, but I think you'll feel me on this. It's gonna give like these white American politicians speaking out on behalf of Bolsonaro. That gives him a little bit more legit legitimacy in a place like Brazil. Like those people are like, oh wow, like you got Americans that are like coming, like there's they're speaking out on his back. He must be doing something right. You know, this is the president, this is the president of America's son who's like saying, like, you know, this. I don't think that would convert somebody who would not vote for Bolsonaro, but the person that is like you know, who who voted for him the first time, but it's like, dang, dude, this dude's kind of crazy. They might see somebody like Don Jr., Giuliani, uh, Steve Bannon, even Mike Lindell being come, you know, coming down there, being at the rallies, and say, like, wow, like Bolsonaro must be really serious because he's got these people coming from America to support him. And and I think I think there's some absolutely I can agree with that. Now, I think with my pillow guy, that guy doesn't really matter. You know, yeah. Mike Lindell, great. I think someone like Giuliani is important. A lot of shockingly Brazilians really know Giuliani. Um, there's a massive Brazilian population in New York um, that, of course, Giuliani was involved in one of the biggest incidents in obviously world history. And he's yeah. a very recognizable worldwide figure. So you mean the great bagel boycott of 2001? Yeah, and literally, they didn't even. They were like, "Nah, we're banning Sasha Baron Cohen's documentary in Brazil. We love Giuliani. No way, man." <laughs> so, um, no, I'm playing. But yeah, Giuliani would be someone. Um, especially if he gets his Portuguese on on up and up, downloads Duolingo, he might get it cracking. But I will say this though: Brazilians do have a very prideful view on their country when it comes to foreign political figures speaking on it. Um, they have a little bit of pride still, where they go, "Yeah." That's cool you're coming here, but we have our own problem down here. You know, Brazilians do remember the relations in the past and the issues. And there is Brazilians do have a little bit of separation, of course, due to visa and how it is to come to America, difficulties for Brazilians to come here. So there is a little bit of separation there. But there is a respect for when people like Giuliani do support. I think that the big issue, though, is what is the, the, the focus? And Brazil is funny enough, like a very diluted and altered version of what kind of goes on in America politics, like the flag thing, you know how the view of the American flag in America, that's important in Brazil too. There's Brazilians that see different political sides if you're a big flag bearer in Brazil now. The Brazilian flag and colors was a big sign of symbolism in the country. Now Brazilians are like, mm, you're probably a big Bolsonaro if you're waving that flag around. So even when I'm doing, I'm like memeing here because like in Brazil, they're like, no, that's not really like, if you're more of progressive politics in Brazil, you're not really flagging the flag around because Bolsonaro's campaign was just like Trump, where it's all about the flag and the country. We're bringing that back. So people are opposed to that now. I think that Brazil needs to find who their person is going to be and who is going to be the figurehead of moving forward. The figurehead is going to be very important. People like me can say, of course, I think that's Lula. Obviously, that's the man. But 
there are Brazilians who are Brazilians are heavily media influenced. And that whole that the smear campaign this man went through in the media was pretty much the reason why he was in prison. So like that's huge. And I think that we're already uh, less than 12 months away from elections starting. The campaign season needs to go full speed. I do see there's a lot of already they're doing their rallies and they're moving around. And there's been already a, a silent protests at the Capitol where they put the 600 napkins to represent the 600,000 people passed away. And the photo Bolsonaro stuff and the pro Bolsonaro protests are even happening in Bahia recently as well, too. So there's a lot of tension picking up. I just think that with a place like Brazil, you need to have a figurehead that people back behind a lot of people's politics in Brazil go behind leadership. They don't go behind parties because there's so many parties in Brazil that it's all about a figure. He could literally be from anybody, from Pete, 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 whatever. He could be from anywhere. It's about the person. So as soon as that left, the left side of Brazil really kind of points out who's going to be their stable, and that means everyone backing up people like Lula, that happens or whoever they choose better be Lula. Um, that's what's going to make the big impact and the push for the country. And with the Senate moving forward, it's really it's going to help the case, too. This is a big help in terms of moving forward, because as you know, in the show, big proponent of getting Bolsonaro out there. And I do think he's absolutely and um, should be tried for the crimes, which which came for the misinformation and telling people to go outside, banning band-aids. Ignoring 81 emails from Pfizer, trying to get the India uh, one and all these other deals he was doing and, and meeting with Trump and Miralago, coming back and pushing the same chlorine uh, thing or whatever. At the same time, all this stuff is, is documented in the CPI and the CPA documents. So I think that that definitely needs to move forward, especially with, like you said, election season coming up. They need to find someone who they're really going to back behind that country. I, I think it's going to be Lula. And I think that'll be fine. Like, I think they're going to go. I don't think that Bolsonaro will win the election, honestly. But I don't think I'm, he's going to get reelected either. No, but but like, I don't think like the votes will be on on his side. You're, you're talking I'm, about afterwards with the, the steel. Yeah, stuff. I'm just scared of what will happen if he pushes this election integrity thing and like how far he's willing to take it and how many people in the military, in the parliament, the, are you um, are you saying that you think that literally you think that there there might unlike here you think that over there he'll be able to get basically military backing he and could. that situation will go down down yeah, that, well that's that'd really, I mean that'd be really sad it, it's possible and I mean it's possible here too it's not possible anywhere but I'm scared of that like I just don't know how far he'll take that like will yeah. he just say no this election was was rigged it was fake and. You know, whereas here it was like, you know, Mike Pence is supposed to like go finagle these results there. I don't know exactly what that process is, but if he's able to convince that person to like finagle the results, will it be, you know, what they tried here? The Trump dictatorship. Will it be the Bolsonaro dictatorship from now? And BAM is obviously like we probably said before, referring to when he said Brazil is a very young democracy. It used to be a military dictatorship. And so the military has shown, obviously, in the past, it's willing to separate itself from whatever political stance of the party or the country's nation on and back up whatever leader empowers the military to take over. So it's 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 a possibility. Now, do I want to put the energy on the universe? Hell no. <laughs> but yeah, um, January 6th is something that could be a lot worse for Brazil and not only just a lot worse in terms of what could happen to the poor people, the citizens of Brazil, but also what could how basically no repercussions could happen and we could see a very messy situation for the country which i hope not because that's one of the most you know 
biggest and powerful countries in the world, and they have a big a big influence not only in South America but just the world in general. Yeah, so that'd be a shame. It would have a big influence on the, on the neighboring nations as well, and it would be uh, really unfortunate for the citizens. And it'd be hard, like because it's such a big country with a big population. I feel like because of that, it could lead to like. I don't want to say a civil war, but it could lead to like a lot more like violence in the street, you know, like these, like, you know, it, it, once again, it's a young democracy. So like you have a lot of corruption and when police and, you know, these institutions aren't as like bureaucratically stable as we have here. So as soon as like some police chief sees like, Oh, Bolsonaro is just going to like take over. Okay. Let me call him and like, Tell me what I need to do to like be in your good graces. And if it involves like making sure there's no protests in the streets with bullets, then I'll do that. You know, my last point on this is Lula was the last example of like true, like left policy and, and policy making for the people. This is a man literally who was a construction worker. He's literally from the people for the people like and and Bolsonaro comes from a totally different background than that. Bolsonaro was the biggest advocate, and all these these are people who are there's people out there who really believe this man. This was Mister. Oh, I'm bringing in Sergio Mora. We're gonna we're gonna switch up everything. We're gonna have no uh, um, um, lies, no corruption, no nothing. I'm gonna just go in there. You know, uh, uh, what is it like they do the the comparison like American cowboy? Right? You know, get everything together and get it going. And then Brazilians ate that up. They loved that. They were like, "Oh yeah, we need like a Harrison Ford. Yeah, get in there. You know, get him." Um, and that's not what's happened at all. This is a man who's nothing but uh, flip flopped, done personal gain, increased the wealth of his family. They talked about his family value going up. Um, doing deals for family members to become CEO and head members in other areas, um, inc- increasing his power in Sao Paulo and Sao Paulo politics in those regions. This man has done nothing that he has promised to the people, came in and actually shockingly made this economy worse. How? You did that. Like, it's actually worse, man. So all these people that I used to be fighting in my own family about Lula and they're all, oh, I, I can't get nothing now. What are you getting even, what's what's better? Okay, what's better? So he they the the cases came out with car wash and how all that was rigged. They want to forget about that. They need to hammer in those points about the truth again, bring up they show these people, and it sucks because my heart goes to Brazil because they've had such inconsistencies in terms of presidents, and a lot of it is like obviously the media influencing what they believe and not believe, but it's so hard for these people to just constantly just go through this like uh, what is that game called? Musical chairs of presidents, um, and, and and have not every experience. Literally, every president leaving experience has been a negative one for Brazil, and that's that sucks. They never just go, oh, he just did a good term, it's over. It's literally every time it's drama to leave that chair. It's straight drama. <laughs> The Kyle Rittenhouse trial has been going on. This is, of course, um, the, I think it was, yeah, this is the, like, young adult boy, let's say, who is accused of killing um, people during the George Floyd protests last year, essentially. Um, and the, the whole case has kind of been a mess. Like, I was just talking, like, before we started the segment about how um, normal people should not, like, 
watch the live court proceedings and the court hearings, the fact that it's actually like done on live TV is more just a sense of like in cable news, they'll put anything on TV if it'll get ratings for a short period of time. So that's kind of that logic there. But pretty much once the judge was chosen, Judge Judge Bruce Schroeder, um, a lot of legal experts were, ex- experts were basically like, yeah, this is over. Um, Kyle Rittenhouse is going to walk away basically free um, if like not anything like that. You've gotten instances where the judges brought up a number of weird legal defenses from saying that um, if you zoom in on a photo on your iPhone, the iPhone creates pixels. Therefore, <laughs> photos taken on a phone are not legitimate. Um, speaking of his phone, um, the judge's phone went off with uh, the song God Bless the USA that is played right before <laughs> Trump rallies. This guy's the best. Um, not only that one, Dan, the other one he did where uh, the plaintiff was literally, no, sorry, the DA was like, uh, he was just literally speaking and he's like, you you can't do that. You can't talk like this. And uh, because there was a case that I just not remembering the case right now. Hmm. I'm not remembering the case right now, but you've already overstepped a line where that's not allowed anymore. <laughs> and uh, it's about to be, we're going to have to throw this case out. I'm like, ah, it's literally where. 40 minutes into proceedings. Okay. <laughs> and I was, I had to rewind the YouTube video. I'm like, what did he say that was so crazy? I don't even, I don't even know what was so crazy. <laughs> yeah. The, the judge himself has been a spectacle um, throughout this entire thing. And so like, you can very much see here, there's this belief, especially among conservative circles that the, the legal system is something that is divorced from politics and lawyers, you know, are stand above the fray and they don't have political agendas and they uh, don't take that out in their rulings. Oh, that's a damn lie. Um, unlike, you know, usually often you'll have judges who like will try to abide by like rules of law and procedures because you have that precedent that's there, but that's not to say politics never bleeds into like the legal, like, um, arena, of course does. Um, but at this point you just have, I mean, the main thing we're bearing the lead here, the judge ruled essentially that prosecutors were not allowed to refer to the people that um, Kyle Rittenhouse killed as victims. However, the people that Kyle Rittenhouse killed are the people that, you know, were running around while Kyle Rittenhouse uh, elected himself to be a property manager of a state he wasn't even living in. Uh, he, the, 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 the judge basically ruled that those people could be called looters and rioters, um, basically given the proceedings. So, all that being said, it's very clear where the judge is leaning here. And we've talked um, on PowerPoint, you know, the seasoned podcast now, um, we were talking about the trial of the uh, officer who killed George Floyd. We were surprised that justice was ruled there because usually it's the case where justice isn't ruled. That being said, <laughs> uh, Bam, what are you thinking about this? Well, I mean, I'm not following the case like so closely. Um, I guess it seems like you know the Rittenhouse defense is is it's they're going to be claiming self defense. Um, I'm hearing stuff here and there. Somebody pulled a gun. I I don't know, but um, you know it does say a lot that this judge is. I mean, the, when when I heard the that thing where he said you can't call them victims, but you can call them rioters or looters, I was like. You know, that that like I, I feel like 
you know, there should be something in place that he has to leave now because we're talking about two people that are dead. Like when, when was their trial to call them criminals? <laughs> like, mm. like you, you put a, a title of a criminal on these people that are dead. Where like, at least show me something that showed them rioting or, and, or looting. They haven't um, even been tried to be considered guilty to be criminals. You can't do that. Yeah, they're dead. So when when I saw that part, I'm just like, this is madness. Like, this is unbelievable that this, like, this, he's already ruled that the people that are, that were killed by this person are rioters and looters. And also, um, I guess they're not going to be able to to talk about uh, Kyle Rittenhouse going to the bar with the Proud Boys and, you know, having that shirt and like, nope. you know, obviously he's obviously you know the he's, different things that would tie him to like that would make this more of a case is less about you know Second Amendment self defense and more into yeah. the hate crime territory things that yeah. would complicate this case for him. The judge is deciding. Yeah, what if we just didn't talk about that? Yeah, what if we just didn't even let that into the courtroom as a thing to do? Which is like a weird thing for a judge to do in the conventional ideas of what we believe a judge to do, right? Yeah, and also, like, I feel like I've seen in some of the, like, uh, Black YouTuber kind of right-wing spaces, and I got to see the turn around, um, the... There is a narrative about like, oh, well, like, you know, how are you going to call him racist or whatever? He didn't kill black people. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm just like, Oops. I'm, you know, there, you know, there's, Got there's no, you know, there, there's no racial component. And I'm just like, if you know anything there, if, if, I'm not going to say the actual word because, you know, we're trying to get that Bolsonaro uh, uh, endorsement. But if there's for a white supremacist, if there if there might be something worse than an N word, it's an N word lover. Mm. So uh, there is a racial component, even if these people are quote unquote white. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. This has been, and I, I mean, this is just me. I've always kind of liked court case stuff. I've always kind of followed that sphere. I've always enjoyed it. So. I'm a monster who likes watching those proceedings. I have I don't know what's wrong with me, but I enjoy it. Um, but in this one, it's like, yeah, I'm laughing about this, but it's a damn shame because when you're watching the case, it's like watching someone who's like literally uh, the judge is inserting himself onto a side. If you watch all those times that he interceded, they were only to cripple the 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 plaintiffs, nothing or to cripple the DA, nothing against the defendant. The defendant literally, the the lawyer was literally like, okay, you brandished a firearm in Illinois, crossed its state lines, underage. You knew you couldn't own this firearm. You walked into a group of people claiming you were also a medic, brandishing an AR-15. And you're saying, oh, you were only defending yourself. The the lawyer asked them three times when that when such and such came to you or allegedly attacked you and you shot him four times. Are you taking ex excessive force? What are you doing? He's like, oh, he's like, I'm just defending myself. He's like, do you agree that you did? Did you have intention to kill? No, no. And he like they go back and forth. The judge is like, you can't ask that question anymore. I'm like, what? <laughs> this is literally how courts work. Like, you can't do that. It's not fun. It's frustrating. It's cringe. But the, the, clearly, they have the lawyers are playing like a game. They're doing a strategy. They're like, 
getting him to make all these points and then switching it later so it can coincide with his points earlier. You're not allowed as a quote-unquote neutral, right? You're neutral. Systems of checks and balances, courts, judiciary. You're not supposed to have a side in this, right? You're supposed to just be a – you're supposed to sit there and go, hmm, this minor came in with the AR-15, a crowd of people shot some – shot shot with like – was it six people? I forgot the number. It was like a, a group of people got shot by him. Some number of people got shot. A couple died. And and um, all of a sudden, like now it's not a problem, like all of a sudden that we're supposed to just look out for this kid. Why does he get to sit there and get all the memes for the conservative defend him about him crying? Why does he get to cry? Why does he get to cry? Wouldn't we don't get to see the families. We don't get to see who died. We get to see him over there ma- making a fortune drool out of his mouth. And everybody's seen the meme of him looking to the side all relaxed like. And then go like we have to see that all day. But it's a shame because the George Floyd thing was so remarkable because we were shocked, right? We were like, that's whoa, like damn, okay, like this is the ham, this is actually justice happening. Crazy. When this is supposed to be standard procedure, we're supposed to just expect this to happen, but we don't. We come from a country where the system is so broken that even this guy, even this 17 or 18-year-old. He would have an opportunity to reform himself as a person. He's he's not even 25. There, he has a whole life ahead of him to fix this. But with the way it is, he's, it's doomed. It's done. He's going to get off. He's never going to learn. He's going to keep uh, being a part of this. And all that Proud Boy stuff is absolutely relevant to this case, especially when it comes to a minors. Minors are influenced by people around them. So why would this not be an influence on his life? Why is this not allowed to be in- included? This judge has his own uh, uh, volitions about this. We heard by his uh, whack-ass ringtone, and it's a shame because those people that passed away in the result of all this um, aren't going to get the justice they deserve. I think one key thing you're pointing out is like the idea of neutrality, right? And I think even that we need to flip on its head because what is the neutrality defined by like like what is what is this legal system has been made by when you get to these conversations about critical race theory what it actually means is how it applies to the legal system the fact that even though we treat like the legal system and the laws as this check and balance surrounding the um injustices that can happen within a society the ultimate thing is that system the legal system was created and is passed down through generations and generations if you keep going back generations and generations they're doing a lot of oppression things that wouldn't pass muster with newer laws and it's not just like oh you know we change the laws and things are better these things have ramifications throughout history um a really good transition and a juxtaposition to this is the ahmaud arbery case ahmaud arbery kind of almost start kick-started off a lot of the black lives matter protests in 2020 because it was his killing when he was um kind of jogging in this um, neighborhood down in Alabama, I want to say. And Georgia. Georgia. Yeah, Georgia. Um, And he was jogging. The uh, retired, like, police officer, essentially, and his son decided to do a citizen's arrest slash uh, chase a suspicious black person through the street. Um, And then another guy, neighbor, joined them. And this eventually led into Ahmaud Arbery being killed. And now they're in court now. You have a situation where um, the county where the everything took place is about 30% black, but only on, when it comes to the jury, one person on that jury is black. The other like seven people or so are white. Like one out of seven people of the jury is black, let's say. Um, and then there's this complaint 
um, for the attorney of the killers of Ahmaud Arbery that there are too many black pastors in the courtroom at the time. Basically saying that, like, look, the fact that you have Al Sharpton and all these other, like, black pastors here, it's intimidating the jury. It's intimidating <laughs> the prosecution. It's like, you're saying the quiet part out loud, you know that, right? You're, you're, you're like, we all understand that you're intimidated by, like, the presence of black people. That's that's why the Ahmaud Arbery situation is here, if we're putting all our cards on the table. It's because of white fear of black life. And so... Then you bring it to a court setting where you're supposed to like hash it out and you already get the attorney going, no, we, we can't have um, these like we can't have too many black people on the jury, or, like any black people at all, because just their presence will uh, skew the case. They won't be able to uh, look at this evidence, you know, neutrally. And so that might bias them to the case. It goes back to what does neutrality mean in a legal context? It doesn't always truly mean neutral. It just means a level playing field for the people who design that legal system. And so I, I think it just kind of goes all to see here that it, it's a learning experience. It's a learning experience to understand how political battles are fought, you know, like on the streets, they're fought in political, like, you know, in Congress and the House of Representatives, but they also oftentimes, sometimes end up being fought in the courts. And the courts, we hope that they're like legally, you know, these things are kind of set down, but these institutions exist and they are often entrenched in um, racism, racism, sexism, a lot of things that like the left and progressives have fought for in the 21st century and have made strides in. But the nature of the legal system means that you have to do so much undoing and so much work from years and years and years of this mess to truly kind of put things forward and make it so the laws actually have teeth around them to defending some of these rights. Um, it's not even during the Derek Chauvin trial, um, in Minnesota, his lawyers were also trying to get a mistrial because of, they were basically saying like, oh, if he's found not guilty, then there's going to, the, the jury knows there's going to be like riots and protests. So that should make it be a mistrial. That's the same thing the guy's doing in the, uh, in the case against the guys that killed him on Arbery. These Al Sharpton and whoever is here, the ghost of Johnny Cochran is here. And <laughs> if, 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 if if they're found not guilty, they the jury knows there's going to be protests, so that's going to make them not want to, uh, you know, do the correct verdict. It's really a shame. It's really a shame. And um, and I just want to mention that um, Kyle Rittenhouse showed up to protests that were about the shooting of Jacob Blake in mm -hmm. uh, Milwaukee, um, who was shot what six times in the back by that police officer. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I like there is, I, you know, when we we're talking about that judge, it made, made me remember the um, the judge in the case for uh, the guy who was shot in Dallas by the police officer when he was in his own apartment. Um, God, what was that woman's name? Um, was it the when they when they raided in, they broke in and uh... no, no, no. The, the 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 woman police officer she shot the guy Botham Jean was his name her name was um god i can't remember her name but um when she was giving Amber her, Geiger Amber Geiger yes uh, who who might be getting out soon who knows but when she killed Botham Jean in his own apartment claiming to think that it was her apartment and then she saw Yeah the intruder thing yeah yeah yeah, I yeah. um 
you know, the judge came down and, and hugged her and gave her a Bible, you know, after she was found guilty of murder. You know, like this is this is what we're doing. And, and yes, that judge was a black. Yeah, the but oh. yeah, there's a lot of people promoting white supremacy out here. Uh-huh. Black, white, Asian, uh, Hispanic, Brazilian. Hey, hey dog. Um, uh, not yet. Wait till you can make those jokes in 2023. Um, but, uh, I mean, Bam said it earlier, right? You want to talk about neutrality and mid and, and where you stand in, in a judge as applies there too, right? If you're in a, if you're a centrist, uh, neutral judge, you're probably on the right. <laughs> you're probably on the right, man. <laughs> yeah. We don't have a whole lot of progressive judges. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's really unfortunate that you have. Um, it's not really a progressive yeah, field. Yeah, what like, you know, what going back to what Dan said, just the presence, like, just the presence of blackness, is like a threat. Yeah, you know, not only is it a threat walking down the street, um, not only is it a threat when it's a nine-year-old with a toy gun. Um, in a, in a place that's like open carry and all kinds of crazy stuff. It's also a threat in the courtroom, just sitting there. Well, if it's me and Dan and Caesar, Hey, who are those guys? But if we just happen to be white, it wouldn't be an issue. Yeah. If we're white, we're we're neutral in opinion, right? (laughs) we're, we're, We're still at that level in this country where the mere presence is a threat. In certain instances, like we got a long way to go, you know what I mean? Before we can get anything that great when we're still talking about, oh, those people are there. There's something bad going on. And that's a fair point. Um, (laughs) It's a little bit of a downer, but like I said, I I think it's important to understand these broader lessons um, that you can learn from having to fight politics on a number of different fronts and knowing what is there kind of up against you. So you have a better sense of understanding how to approach these things. And you don't just go, oh, everything's against me. I'm just going to post on Twitter about a general strike that's not going to happen um, and get people to like, lose their jobs because I don't care about organizing. I care about Patreon growth. That's a lot of what's happening online right now. Um, and a lot of people are calling themselves Fred Hampton leftists, but doing absolutely nothing that Fred Hampton would support. support. But that mm-hmm. is for a different episode. Thank you, uh, both of you, for joining me. Can y'all talk about what y'all are doing, including uh, Young We Made It podcast? Uh, make sure you go on YouTube and you follow, subscribe we to We Made It Seas. We Made It Seas on YouTube. He's got some vlogs coming up. He's been traveling all over the world. Forget the country. Although it's still oh, definitely vaccinated, unboosted, though. Look, um, my hair. Look what the Pfizer did. <laughs> um, yeah, That's sure what it did to Drake. <laughs> make sure you go follow. We made a season on YouTube. He's doing some great, amazing things. And um, if you want to hear about some stuff going on in the soccer world, make sure you follow. We made a podcast. and. Um, you know, I want to say again, you know, go watch them, uh, Dan, from the Internet videos. They were great. Yeah, those can be found um, on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Dan from the Internet. I've got other ones coming soon. Um, I, I will say that I had a goal to um, release two videos this year. They're 
really close to done. Um, but I had a lot of things that were going on and it'll all make sense. It'll coming soon. So um, we'll explain that later. But you can continue to find Power Report because that's not stopping. That's only grown in 2021. It'll continue to grow in the future um, at powerreport.world, anywhere you get podcasts, of course. Um, and you can find me also on Audio Face on the Syndicate 23 Network, where we do a little bit less politics sometimes, but a lot more music news as well. Um, but thank you very much for checking out this episode of Power Report. We'll be back again in two weeks. Cheers. Uh, now it's time to pay the bills. Power Report's brought to you by Bolsonaro 2022. <laughs> L- listen here. I'm... Ivermectin. <laughs> if you've ever banged a chicken, um... <laughs> hey, man! <laughs> hey, Caesar. How-, how often throughout the day does this happen to you? No, I'm kidding. I did not want to yeah. do an ad read, but... Hey, look. Uh... Kill me, Cam. Let me right here. Big, big. She's a big uh, conservative. We've noticed that she's a conservative cat. It's all good, though. It's all good, though. <laughs>